This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Kayla Benny from Chestertown, Maryland. And I'm Charlie Brister from the land down under. And you are listening to the monthly breeding and horse sales episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May the 28th. This episode is brought to you by Supreme Top Form. Good morning, Horse World. So this is a special episode that airs every fourth Thursday of the month, and we focus on breeding and sales. On today's show, it's the fourth episode of the breeding and sales segment of Horses in the Morning, we're going all around the world. First, we start chatting with Equisale about their import business of sales horses from the Czech Republic and the other base in the US, Florida. Then we're going closer to my side of the world, to New Zealand, to talk to Jody Hartstone about her breeding operation. We'll close out the episode with Mark Donaldson of Unionville Equine, really honing in on back x-rays and any other controversial findings that might come up during a pre-purchase exam. So, Kayla, how's everything been going for you during corona? Well, I've actually, um, I've upped my fitness program as I've seen you have too. We're both doing that uh, push-up <laughs> challenge. Yeah, I'm, great. I'm blaming uh, Charlie Campbell for that one. So shout out to Charlie Campbell in Ocala. Uh, I hope you are finishing all your push-ups in good form. I haven't actually seen any videos from him doing uh, doing his push-ups. Maybe I'm just scrolling past, but... Yeah, Sharn Wordley uh, nominated me, and I feel like it's become like this, it's this great thing about um, mental health awareness, and it's actually a really good thing, but it's become a little bit of a vindictive thing of like, haha, now you have to do it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, I'm, I'm a bit surprised about how effective it's been, though. I know I've raised um, quite a bit of money for some of the mental health organizations down in Australia and had quite a few people you know messaging me about those sort of issues that uh, it certainly wouldn't have happened just out of the blue if that stuff hadn't have been going on. So I mean I guess that's one good thing that's come out of the time of corona <laughs> but uh, 25 push-ups is a lot. It like, is it is. It, I get to 15 and those extra 10, I mean, I didn't even realize how, like, it, I'm really not strong. <laughs> use it's, it's use iMovie and uh, just do a little loop footage of your first five. <laughs> ah, I see what you're doing now. <laughs> I so, just use time, time lapse, so I go really, really fast. How about we welcome our first guest? Marjorie Burkash, she's a US-based representative for Equisale Sport Horses. Welcome, Marjorie, and thank you for coming on. I'm very excited, guys, to be on board, so this is going to be fun. Yes. It's a pleasure. So tell us about Equisale Sport Horses. Okay, so I manage the company in the US, 
um, based out of Florida, about two hours east of Ocala, three hours north of Wellington, which is really, really good when you run a, a sale business because it's actually pretty centrally located for the winter circuit to be like accessible for like pretty much everybody. And then there is another Equifel, which is like Martin Lexman, and that would be based out of Czech Republic in Europe. Um, and he runs a business there. So that would be like the two entities. And so do you, so you partner with him and bring horses over specifically to sell for show jumping and for hunters? Correct. Um, so the way it works is like, um, Martin sells a lot himself directly to the U.S. market. He has like really, really good marketing skills, like always presents the horses at their best, beautiful pictures, very good videos. Um, so he publishes them in like different um, social media outlets, ads and things like this. So he has like a very, very strong customer base that he reaches out directly through yeah, like the different uh, media. And then myself, I also work with some U.S. clients will send horses to me to be sold. Um, I also work with some other people in Europe, uh, but I work a lot with Martin as well. And then I will sell here using also social media and then um, using horse shows and like networks that are like in the U.S. How did you get into specifically <laughs> sales? Um, running a sale barn is, is kind of a funny business. It's very, very different from like a regular training, boarding and lessons because it's actually fringing. It, it, it's a little bit more similar to maybe what a real estate agent would do or like any kind of actual business. Of course, I love horses. This is my experience. But the day-to-day -day oper uh, day -day operation I could be selling watermelons or like houses and it would, <laughs> it would be about the same. The bulk of the work is, well, a lot of time in the arena. Like uh, when you run a successful sale barn, you need to do a lot of marketing, which means that like almost every day I'm with my phone, my camera, camcorder on the side of the ring, taking videos for the client. Because in 2020, this is really how you're going to do business is like, present and put out the best videos you can. Literally, I, I feel that most of my life I'm a Japanese tourist with like a camera <laughs> in my hand taking pictures and videos of everything. And then you have like the social media, you have the Facebook, you have the Instagram. And so you need to keep those updated. So as I said, I spend more time like watching my horses go than actually like enjoying riding them. And then the second part of the business is when you start to do sales and only sales. I don't have students. I don't have boarders. I don't take horses in training. So when you start doing sales, um, you have clients calling. So you, you have clients texting. You have clients messaging you through Facebook. You have clients sending you emails. And what people are expecting nowadays is like, you can't say, I'm going to answer in one or two days. You take two days to reply to a client, you have lost the sale. So um, everything is fast. You need to answer to those clients, I would say, like within 12 hours. After that, it starts to be a little bit old news. So, yeah, I'm always on my phone uh, or like in front of the computer and trying to talk to the trainers, talk to the clients, 
and then you talk to the vets and then now you have also like all the shipping headache and the logistics of everything of having horses everywhere so you have horses here you have the horses in czech republic you have some horses that now like are stuck for some reason in belgium because like the airplane got delayed and then Another one that got stuck in New York in the quarantine because one of the other horses got tested positive for pyroplasmosis. So now the shipper yet lined up to send the horse to Montana. Well, it's not working anymore. Like, like the horse missed the bus. Can I ask, so when you take the videos and pictures, do you do it primarily off of your iPhone or do you prefer to have like an actual camcorder and um, a professional ca- type camera? All right. So for the the still pictures, like the pretty pictures that are like on my page and Martin's page, we use like really, really good uh, SLR cameras. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, nowadays, yes, your iPhone does great, or but at the end, it's still not the same result. It's it doesn't matter how much you want it. There is actually a difference when you take an SLR camera. So when we do those, um uh, confirmation pictures headshots and when we decide like not, like we're going to take a picture and try to really capture the essence of the horse then yes we use real cameras um martin and i are just a tiny bit different on what we use for videos martin uses a, a camcorder because uh, most of his work is in an indoor and so he's struggling with uh lighting issues Mm-hmm. And with the iPhone, it can become like really, really uh, uh, hit and miss as far as what you get, because suddenly it's going to be really dark and suddenly the phone is going to try to correct and it's going to become very bright. And of course, it's going to happen when your horse is going to jump the best he has jumped for the next exactly. minutes. So you don't want that to happen. So when you bring horses over, do you prefer, like, I know Martin sells a lot of younger horses and I've bought a couple younger horses from him. Um, but I noticed on your website, you tend to have more going horses, older horses. Yes. And that's a little bit the difference between the, the business in Europe and the business in the U S uh, producing horses in the U S is absolutely not cost efficient. The, the horse shows here are extremely expensive. I would venture to say that it's probably the place where it costs the most to show in the world. You want to go to jump like, I don't know, three meter, 10 class over four days with a young horse, like a four-year-old, for example, a five-year-old, just in like the stabling and like everything and like the show office and whatever, you're going to have a bill that will be easily six, seven hundred dollars, sometimes pushing over a thousand dollars so it's just not cost efficient and then the second thing is uh most trainers here on the road all the time so it's very hard for them to actually bring uh young horses along because when you're at the horse show it's not necessarily conclusive to do the day-to-day training that the young horses would need martin sells a lot of the young horses uh because he can sell them for like what would be considered wholesale prices considered uh, compared to the market in the U.S. For me, if I bring the young horses, then it's going to cost me a lot of money to 
like get them ready for the clientele to to be really like going and at the end they're gonna have to pay more than what they would pay if they bought it like directly from Europe. So I yep. would say like what Martin does is a little bit like IKEA. You buy your horse <laughs> and it's your own kit because you're gonna take your own money and doing the shows. I like that. <laughs> And for me, it's like you get the retail product. You know what I mean? Yep. Like you're not gonna spend like three hours in your living room, like being like, I don't know where this piece is go piece is going. You come, you try the horse at my farm. You like it, you vet no. it, and it's ready to go to a horse show tomorrow. So for us, it's it's better to still bring those been there done that horses and let them acclimate because they're gonna sell for more money because people are going to buy the experience and so the margins are going to be better than buying a young one well awesome so we go to equisalesporthorses.com to see your horses or equisale.net to see martin's thanks again marguerite burkash from equisale sport horses you're welcome thank you so much guys Supreme Top Form Joint Supplement is 99.8% pure glucosamine hydrochloride and 99% pure hyaluronic acid. It is concentrated and easy to feed and cost-effective. It is independently lab-tested for purity, so you know that what you get is on the label. They have both dog and horse supplements, which is great for any horse person. You don't see many horse people without a dog. Visit Pan Am Vet Core, that's Pan Am vetcore.com for more information well, our next guest comes all the way from the land of the long white cloud we've got jody hartstone she's a grand prix dressage rider young horse trainer practitioner of equitation science and also a breeder of both warm bloods and lusitanos welcome jody thank you very much it's great to be here today well, let's uh, quickly before we get into, uh, you know, breeding and sales as such, tell the audience just a little bit about what equitation science is and how that informs your riding and training methods. Great. Well, I first got into equitation science about oh, maybe 10 or 15 years ago now when I had a very difficult Grand Prix dressage stallion, a, a lovely Holsteiner called Landioso, and and he was the kind of horse that would either win competitions or stop dead and I would finish last or be eliminated. So he had a lot of talent, but we weren't always on the same page with our riding and training. And through a series of coincidences, I struck upon Dr. Andrew McLean um, based in Australia, and he's one of the world's leading practitioners of learning theory, the science of how animals, or in, in this case, how horses learn. And that really changed my life around horses. And yeah, basically equitation science, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's just looking at the um, training and handling of horses, but with a scientific lens put on it. So not only are we looking at ethology, the natural behaviors of the horse, which are kind of like the the hardware a horse comes with, if you like. We also then add in the software, which is learning theory, and that modifies the hardware so we can take a horse and train it to do uh, whatever we like. So with um, in terms of my riding, it took me from just being an, a normal 
rider, if you like, through Pony Club and through Dressage to now being um, someone that can really solve a lot of problem behaviours in horses, trouble with loading onto trailers or clipping um, horses that are shy of the clippers or needle shy horses that are struggling with their flying changes, you know, whatever. So it's really made me a much more well-rounded horse person than I was before I was introduced to it. And how did you get into breeding? Was that with Landioso, the stallion you were riding, or was it before then? No, before then I was um, grooming for a a three-day event team of horses um, in New Zealand, and I'd had a lovely... Uh, four-star event horse they'd loaned me that I was doing like the one meter <laughs> one meter tens on and then when he retired they another horse they had sitting around in a in a field was a stallion called Belmont Golden Boy and he'd been turned out for a few years with a tendon injury um, and he was kind of going going free at the time so I rang my mum and dad and we're like we need to build some high fences I'm going to bring home a stallion and uh, that's how it happened. I think I was aged like 21 or 22 probably at the time. And, yeah, he was he was my first introduction into stallions and, and into breeding. And then from there we started going to Europe and importing horses and, you know, got to build our stud to where it is today. It sounds like a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Have one horse, have many horses. Actually, the the guy I got him from, he said to me, the biggest mistake you'll ever make is getting, you know, kind of three broodmares at home because soon you'll have three broodmares and three <laughs> foals and then it's <laughs> three weanlings, three broodmares and three more foals and, and so it goes on. But I've, I've actually been steady probably for the last 20 years. I've had about 20 horses on the place um, of, of my own. Between 15 and 20, we sort of fluctuate. So I, I think that's all right for one person. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's excessive in any way. <laughs> to each their own. That seems like a lot of horses. <laughs> but, we, have, um, we have a lot of space. We've got oh, a lot of space. That's good. That's good. Um, so how did you transition to Lusitanos and like what drew you to them? That was, it's actually quite a funny story. I was based in, um, up in San Francisco for a while with a lovely Hanoverian stallion that I had called Whisper. And we were trying to qualify for the World Games um, in Kentucky. But unfortunately, he went lame and and we never made it. Uh, But while I was there, I still went to the World Games and saw the beautiful Spanish stallion Fuego. And I really Ah, loved the way he was ridden and, and with so much pizzazz and I, I was kind of like that's that's pretty cool like I'm a bit of a show-off and, and dressage is you know let's face it it's not the most exciting of sports if you've got a personality that's um you know <laughs> no not comment to kept, <laughs> not, not to be kept in a shoebox so I kind of thought wow that that actually could be a bit of me like I like doing night shows and you know putting the horse under lights and and just showing off what beautiful animals you know that that horses are so um, a friend of mine from the States, Risa Benetti, when I'd, um, I'd, I'd got back home, but I was on the search for a, another stallion and I, I knew that I didn't really want – the trouble with warm blood stallions here in New Zealand is people can stand unlicensed stallions. So you pay a lot of money and, and bring a great stallion in from Europe and then someone breeds a colt son of his and stands it at stud for not much money and everyone – goes to the son who's unproven rather than the fully licensed, you know, German or Dutch stallion you've bought in. So I was a little bit over that. 
And I said to Risa, um, I said, "What well, you know, what should I do? I don't know if I really want a warm blood. And she said, why don't you get a Lusitano? And back then, I didn't actually know the difference between a Lusitano and a Spanish horse, which now I most definitely know the differences. Um, but I thought, yeah, and, and I googled Lusitano stallions for sale and there was a, a beautiful stallion for sale in America called San Sao and he uh, when the guy was riding this Portuguese stallion around he had this beautiful fado music playing in the background and to be honest I, the horse was nice but I fell in love with the song <laughs> and the idea of this beautiful journey with a horse from a foreign land and I was I was hooked so really it was a song um and and just my friend happening to say hey why don't you try a Lusitano I didn't even know where Portugal was to be honest other than somewhere <laughs> in Europe so uh, it all spiraled from there Father, like a, a beautiful crisis. music to listen to yeah absolutely well you know it's fairly depressing but it's still be- beautiful at the same time with uh, with all the work you do in you know equitation science and and you know there's a lot of research thing go, goes into that before you know really putting things into practice. Is there any any research that's changed the way you do things with either your breeding, but also um, when you're rearing the foals and, and weaning them? Any practices there that are affected? Yeah, just trying to make the weaning as stress-free as as possible and the way we house the horses here, they're all living in big social groups rather than in individual uh, paddocks or fields. So that's uh, really made me realise how we need to keep the horses as naturally as we can um, a- as much as possible within the you know realms of trying to still make money from them and you know like running a business so uh, yeah that's what we're trying to do is is really with the weaning uh, leaving it as late as we can but that depends a little bit on whether we're in a drought or or how much grass we have and also whether the mare is back in foal um, or not but we definitely put them into groups to wean them. They're never in social isolation. So, uh, yeah, those sort of things have become far more apparent to me than what uh, they ever ever were before. You know, people often say to me, oh, my, my horse has separation anxiety. What can I do? It's kind of this word that's bandied around now with horses. And I said, well, does he live with other horses? And they say, no, no, but he can see them. And and that's, you know, really such a humanistic attitude. A horse doesn't want to see another horse. It actually wants to groom and, uh, you know, be with the other horse and touch the other horse, not simply see it across an electric tape where if they get too close, he gets a shock. So, And yeah, is, your, little... is your top uh, Grand Prix stallion Ali Barber, so he, he lives out with other horses? No, funny you should say that. We've or actually... should I say he's had the <laughs> ultimate gear change? Lately. I forgot about that. Yeah, so we've we've actually gelded him, and that was really for welfare reasons. It, it's always such a tough life for maybe not all stallions, but for a lot of competition stallions, it, it's a very, very tough life. A lot of dressage stallions, they have a really high death rate of, of horses being trained up through the grades to Grand Prix. Um with you know, when they're a stallion, there's far more you'll see dying. Um, you know, if you read Euro dressage like I do, there's you know one or two a week seem to pass away way before their time, and I believe that's you know most often due to 
um, you know, colics and things caused through stress. So for a stallion to socially navigate through life is all really difficult. And uh, by the time we then keep them in social isolation and then put a difficult training regime on top, um, yeah, it's really not good for them. So a, a friend of mine, I was at a, an equitation science conference up in um Canada last year and I was complaining to her that I had to keep my stallion at someone else's stable just to keep him happy and she said oh why don't you geld him and I was <laughs> I was really like shocked at my poor Portuguese man that I was uh you know thinking of emasculating but anyway it, it really was the more the thought sunk in the more I thought yeah that's actually a really good plan and now he's not yet living out with other horses, but he's in the paddock he's in has a high wooden fence through to a round pen. So I can put other horses in right beside him that he can groom with, which you know he won't have been allowed to do since he was two or three years old. So he's, he's much, much happier. And eventually I would like him um, to have another horse in with him. Uh, but at, at least now he's, he's being able to socialize far more. It's interesting you mentioned that about the stallions. There's an Australian show jumper that Kayla and I both know, and he yeah he he terms that the uh, the dressage dressage horse syndrome from the competitive riders. Yeah, yeah, they're very protective. I mean, it's difficult when you have a horse worth um, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, the thought of putting it out with another, particularly if it's has been isolated. You know, it it we have a, the thought that it could be quite a dangerous thing, but I think it's really important to think of the differences between horse care and horse welfare because you hear of people saying, "Oh, this show jumper doesn't want for anything," or "This racehorse, it's got a massage therapist and a vet and the best horseshoes that gets shod once a month, and it's got the best hard feed, and really, it it lives the life of a king." But all of that stuff's about good horse care as opposed to good horse welfare because good horse welfare is about having companionship, having touch, having, um, you know, connection with other horses and, and humans, um, having a positive affective state, being able to eat graze 17 hours a day and or 13 hours a day and, and move around 15 or 16 kilometres a day. Like it's that freedom. That's what a horse actually craves, not the best farrier in the land type <laughs> things so yeah i think i think bit by bit you know we need to they, change our attitudes and i've certainly been changing my mind they don't care about getting their manicures and their massages quite as much as we do <laughs> yeah ab absolutely they they really just want freedom and um shelter and yeah. and other horses for company now so you bred your stallion before you you made him into not a real man <laughs> and so did you collect um a bunch of straws before you you gelded him like is it is his semen still available yeah absolutely so we took lots of frozen semen off him and to be honest his uh, a lot of these uh, um, smaller breeds, I think, like Lusitanos, can have more difficult semen to manage. I'm, I'm not quite sure why that is, but they probably haven't been selected for hundreds of years um, for the, the viability of their chilled semen type thing. I don't think the Templar Knights that rode them into battle really, really cared about that. Um, <laughs> so his semen didn't travel well. You had to always... Um, 
centrifuge it and, and take good care of it. Uh, so we ended up only ever, if we do salad semen, we sell only frozen semen anyway. So it started to make a lot more sense to take frozen semen often before we um, gelded him. And then we actually did one step kind of worse and, and got his uh, testes and took them back from when he was gelded to the lab and they take the... Um, take more semen that's actually the very best semen you can get um is the is the stuff stored in the testes so i couldn't oh, wow. bring myself to open the box <laughs> to have a look at them um, <laughs> i just i just kept the box closed and took it off to the lab and said, just just do do it i don't want to know about it and th the whole thing of getting a general anesthetic done on a on a horse like him was was actually terrifying um you know, we get young colts gelded here all the time, and we just sedate them, put them on the ground. They wake up straight away. It's not a, it's not a general anaesthetic. We just knock them out and do it laying down, or the vet does. Um, but with him, because he's a growing up horse, and and there's such um, a bigger risk involved, you have to have a general anaesthetic. And with a general anaesthetic, often you know comes an anesthetic risk as well. So it mm. was a pretty horrible day dropping him off at the surgery and, you know, leaving him with the nurses there and uh, going off teaching for the day. And all I wanted to do was know that he'd stood up okay and, and hadn't injured himself. So, yeah, I, I'm you glad wanted we wanted to be one of those wife. helicopter mums. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, I, yeah, it was, it was in, tricky. In, um, over in Germany and, and the Netherlands and that, there's, you know, like you mentioned, there's, quite a tradition of breed or stallion licensing and licensing the mares and, and you're pushing for uh, a little bit better of a breed registry in New Zealand. Can you just tell us a little bit more about uh, what you're doing there and, and sort of you mentioned it earlier but also just re recap why that's so important? Yeah, New Zealand is um, pretty unique. I think a few other countries are like us but, but in terms of the world standard of registering horses and things, it's its really slack. And part of the reason for that is we have no equine flu in New Zealand, so there's no need to vaccinate horses. We don't have to show any sort of vaccination record at all for your general horse here in New Zealand to go to a horse show or be transported. So there's no need for passports. Therefore, there's no immediate need for microchipping. Um, so most of the horses born here that aren't racehorses are born with no papers, no microchipping, nothing. And we've got away with that for many, many, many years. So it's uh, quite hard to tell people <laughs> that that's not really good in terms of disease management and in, in terms of um, competition horses to stop horses keeping on reappearing. You know, without a microchip, you can basically reinvent your horse. Um, into into sh the showing thing as being younger or or whatever, so it, it leads to some sort of fraudulent behaviours which can have negative welfare um, impacts on on these poor show jumping ponies that are 15 years old for about 15 years of their life. Um, so yeah, I'm currently the president of the New Zealand Warm Blood Breeders Association, and over the last four years, 
we've really taken it ahead. We've managed to get international passports for our horses and join the World Breeders Federation. So we're really putting these New Zealand warm bloods on, on the map. They're already fantastic horses. We had one Balmoral Sensation that was ranked number one in the world for eventing. That's a New Zealand warm blood, but at the time had no papers. Um, so, yeah, I'm doing a, a really big push on it. I'm probably not making as many friends as I am enemies through doing it uh, because a lot of people just really don't want to know. They don't want to spend an extra $100 and have uh, papers for their horse. But I think eventually we will get there. There was a really good event horse. You might know its name. It was a little black thing that came over here and to Australia and got ridden by uh, Emma Mason and then Amanda Young. And, and it was, you know, no breeding uh, and everyone, when they asked them about it, they said, oh, it just was a pig hunting horse that came down out of the hills in New Zealand. Um, so I'm not surprised and, and that you're trying to clear that up. So... Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There really are those pig hunting type horses <laughs> that, that will have no papers. They have no breeding because nobody knows who the father is or or anything. Um, but what's kind of scary in New Zealand is that you can take one of those horses and jump it in an age group class when no one really knows when it was born. Mm. Um, so that that I'm against. I'm not against that type of horse. Like my hunter, yeah. we're, we're starting uh, field hunting again here um, this weekend, thankfully back after COVID. And he's your typical uh, horse off of some big station. He's been a pig horse and he um, is half trotter, half, half pacer with a bit of something else. And, you know, they're really, really fantastic horses. Uh but he's of a different quality to what we're breeding with, you know, our, our top warm blood horses. Yeah. So if anyone out there wants to buy one of the fabulous uh, horses that Jody's breeding, you can go to heartstoneequestrian.com or also her Facebook page, Heartstone Equestrian. And I'd also recommend to all of our listeners to also check out her page and videos online for if they have any training problems. Thanks very much for coming on, Jody. Super. Thanks, guys. One more shout out to our amazing sponsor, Supreme Top Form Joint Supplements. They really help keep the show on the road and love for you to show them your support by visiting Pan Am Vet Corps, that's C-O-R-P dot com for more information. Welcome, Mark Donaldson from Unionville Equine Associates. Basically covered most of the pre-purchase exam, but I wanted to kind of brush on some controversial topics, um, one of them being back x-rays. And Mark, so how often do you do back x-rays in a pre-purchase? More and more frequently. How's that for an answer? Uh, <sighs> I think with the advent of digital radiography about 10 or 15 years ago, it's been like, you know, more and more horses are, are having their backs radiographed. And uh, I don't know, I think it's a good thing overall. You probably don't want to hear that as a seller, but I, I do think that it helps uh, put the right horse with the right, um, with the right owner. Uh, if a horse does have, you know, significant abnormalities in their back, it's going to have to have the right person that's willing to, to manage that, you know, the awareness and desire and ability to, to work through a, what hopefully is a minor issue. Um, but I do think, it, as you guys know, you've all um, taken care of horses that have back pain and 
it takes a little extra special effort and care to, to do that. And how often do you find, like, is there a ratio that you could come up with or a percentage of the amount of back problems that you see on an x-ray? Like when you pre-purchase? Yes. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a, absolutely. It's a, it's a great point. Um, most, I would say the majority. And I think that's a, that's a thing about uh, radiographing backs on purchase exams is I think um, you have to be prepared. And I actually warned people. I said, Hey, we're probably going to see some things here. Don't be alarmed. You know, it's going to, we're going to interpret that and put in the context of the situation and, don't be concerned if we see some, because I, I would say more often than not, there's going to be some abnormalities, not only in purchase exams, but, you know, other situations and working with horses that have back pain. And and uh, so I do usually put that out there so that people aren't alarmed when I say, hey, there's this and there's that. And um, I think a lot of the interpretation has to go with the context. Like, is this a, a young, unproven horse that, that has abnormalities and that might present more risk because we don't know if the horse has the sort of temperament to sort of work through that and get through it and get to the other side when it's more comfortable and more mature. Um, and that's one situation. The other would be a, uh, you know, a, a seasoned eventer who's going to have peaked in his career and now is going to take a step down a level or two and, and help a young person to learn. And well, that horse has done his job, knows how to do it. And maybe he's done it with some abnormalities in his back. And uh, it's just something to be aware of, and it'll probably continue to, to do its job well. So a lot of it has to do with the context of the previous use and intended use. And, you know, I think also the interpretation and the, the uh, tolerance for risk for the buyer, too. Is there any effect on the radiographs of, of the back of how the horse is standing? You know, whether their back legs are out a bit more or their head's up or head down. Is there any, um, anything you'd enlighten us on that? Yeah, there there is something like I do try to get them to stand square. Um, there's also a study that showed that um, that uh, you have to be careful about interpreting the areas on the margin of the radiograph because the X-ray beam, you know, goes straight and perpendicular, hopefully, into that and the, the X-ray plate. And if you're that beam kind of goes off to an angle on the edge of the plate, it might appear as if there's no space between those vertebrae or very little space. But if you are looking at those on the next radiograph where you're more perpendicular to that area, it may look much more normal. So I try to, when I do it, I try to make sure that my my views overlap quite a bit so that I can, um, if I see that there's an abnormality on um, more than one, you know, view of that area, then I will say with more confidence that it is abnormal. So, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Maybe not the position of the horse, but maybe the position, maybe the way I, I do it, you know, the way I interpret them, the way I take the radiograph for sure. Yeah, well, it's a bit of a, it's, I guess it's a bit of an awkward uh, shot to take. It's it's not not as straightforward as doing a fetlock or a knee. Yeah, yeah, so it's a little bit different, but um, but uh, but still certainly can be done with most, um, uh, you know, the modern uh, digital equipment certainly allows it to be done uh, easily in the field. Um, a thin lean horse, like an off-the-track thoroughbred, usually get much higher quality because there's just not quite as much between, uh, not as much fat and muscle between the, the, the x-ray plate and the and the bone, whereas a big, round, mature uh, European warm blood, it's 
sometimes the, the quality isn't quite as good because you're x-raying through more dense tissue. Yeah, that makes sense. With those uh, young off-the-track horses, I, I'm guessing it sounds like you've uh, done a few back x-rays on those young, younger ones. Are you, I know Kayla asked about sort of this earlier. Are you fi- do you find many issues on horses that young, say four years old? And do you think it's um, the way the horse is or is it more related to the training on the track? I think I think it's more related to the horse's genetics. You know, the studies have shown that it's much much more common in uh, American thoroughbreds. So uh, I think some of it just has to be is genetic. Um, so the, the the appearance of it radiographically and the, the anatomy of that area is genetic, but the manifestation of the pain and the performance problem I think does have to do with the horse's age. Because as they get older, some scar tissue forms and the pain goes away. A callus forms in there. When they're young, it's like a blister and real painful. And over time, a callus forms in those areas and the pain goes away. So it has to do with age. It has to do with discipline. Like, you know, when, when a horse changes jobs, sometimes problems appear. They're being used one way as an off, you know, the thoroughbred racehorse. And then now they're doing dressage or eventing. It's a, it's a very different use of their back. And when they start using their back differently, if there's something there, then, then occasionally you get some performance problems that might not have been able to be predicted. So, and the last thing is temperament. You know, uh, some of the, we all know horses that are just tough and a lot of heart. And in spite of whatever problems they have, they go out and do their job. And other horses, maybe not so much. They will really object. You know, if they're not perfectly comfortable, then we'll, we'll let you know. And it makes, you know, getting them um, to do their job difficult. So age, discipline, change in use, um, temperament, that all has to be taken into consideration when saying, oh, you know, this horse has kissing spines. And I think that's why there's so much controversy. You know, you can have the same radiograph on three different horses, but they may all manifest the problem in a different way, which is why it's such a, such a can of worms. When you palpate the back, do you kind of, have a pre like a thought when you say, okay, the back's a little sore. I'm going to x-ray. I think I'm going to find something. And then there's nothing compared to maybe you've palpated a back and it's not sore and you find a whole lot of something. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I think those are less common, but, but for sure, you know, definitely uh, I'll palpate some pain and advocate a, a, a radiograph of the back and then everything looks good. And, and maybe the horse is just a little sore from the new job it's doing or uh, a saddle that isn't, you know, perfect or, you know, horses just back, it's a little tender and it'll come through it. So yeah, certainly they have, you know, they have back pain from, from many other causes. Sometimes it's just a soft, you know, soft tissue problem or injury. So they certainly can have back pain without kissing spines and there are other many, many other causes of, of back pain. So that, that certainly occurs. Um, and then the other way around, yes, occasionally I've heard horses that, that, that do have significant abnormalities that don't palpate painfully. And, uh, and, uh, I think they, they may not have pain and that's the other quandary is that, you know, okay, this horse doesn't have pain when you palpate its back, but you radiograph it and look, there's, you know, kissing spines and radiographically, it looks quite severe. And so the, the, the radiographic abnormality doesn't always correlate with the, the level of pain. And that's also why as a buyer and both seller, that this can be so frustrating. And it is for vets too. I think that there's obviously not a great consensus 
and uh, and that does that certainly does occur that, that they can have um, you know absence of pain, but but radiographic abnormalities, and you know that's why when you're selling that horse, it's been doing great, looks wonderful, no back pain, and then someone comes along and radiographs it and says, oh no, they're don't buy this horse. It has kissing spines. And that's what really, I'm sure, frustrates both parties. You know, the seller saying, well, I, I can't sell this horse in the bar. I really like that horse and it's doing great. I love it. I could ridden it. Everything's fine. And now the vet's getting in the way of what would have been a, a good transaction. So mm-hmm. I really do think that those radiographs need to be interpreted with all that in mind. Um, you mentioned a moment ago about saddles. Now, is it common for you to find, uh, you know, to look at a horse and, and go, oh, can, do you ever look at the saddle yourself or do you go, oh, do you want to check the saddle on this one? Is that a common thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that, uh, you know, usually I, I palpate, them, palpate them a couple of ways. One is I, I, I put some pressure along the, the absolute midline, you know, right over top of the bone. And if there's pain there, then it's either, I think, coming from the, the underlying bony abnormalities like kissing spines or maybe the ligament that I'm also pressing on. And then I also palpate the, the muscle mass on either side, you know, which is where the, the saddle pressure is going to exist. And if the pain is more in that muscle area, then I would say, hey, you know, let's, let's look at saddle fit here. Um, so, uh, yeah, I try to, you know, do my best to differentiate the two because I certainly don't want to um, misinterpret, you know, where that, where that pain is, is coming from. So, yeah, absolutely. So say somebody x-rays back and sees that, you know, we'll call it a mild case of kissing spine, you know, a couple vertebra, maybe communicate, maybe one touches, but they love the horse. The horse is showing promise to do its job. What are some things that the person might be able to do kind of as like a physical therapy for the horse? to maybe yeah, yeah. make it stronger, make the back a non-issue. Yeah. Right, right, right. So to, to set the, set the new owner up for success. Yeah. Um, I think, I think consistency in the program is probably one of the biggest things. I, I find that horses with abnormalities in their back or history back pain, I think being as, as consistent in the training program as possible. So if someone's buying a horse and they say, well, you know, I ride twice a week or, you know, I, I work a lot and sometimes I can't ride every day. Well, maybe you should either think about another horse or ensure that your trainer or a young person can get on this horse and make sure that it stays fit and it has good core strength. So mm-hmm. I think um, ensuring core strength that supports that back and, and a consistent um, but not aggressive program, I think is, is big. A lot of horses that, get some time off because of bad weather or owner that was injured or, or whatever. And when they come back into work, if they have abnormalities in their back, I think sometimes they, they struggle because they're, they're not, they don't have the core strength to support an area that maybe isn't a hundred percent strong. So that would be the biggest, you know, thing that I would, I would say, obviously, you know, a, a saddle that, you know, that fits well is, is big and. It's imperative. And, um, and, yeah, and imperative. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. And I mean, you know, I've found, cause I've, I've dealt with a couple cases, um, is long lining, um, not being yeah, afraid, sure. not being afraid to not be on their back. You can do a lot of training from the ground, you know, 
with the long lining, with, you know, some people like the Pessoa system, um, you know, things like that. And just really working on getting the core strong. And actually, I sold a horse um, that you and I worked with and Mm -hmm. the vet. Mm -hmm. So we had um, the original x-rays and then the vet that was doing the pre-purchase, we did another one for comparison. And actually, I had not cured it, but I had opened up some of the processes and, you know, and made the horse more comfortable. And obviously he had also probably built up calluses and, and, and things like that. But, you know, he was doing his job, he was performing well. Um, but I also had to kind of trust that, you know, when I was on his back, I did a really good job with my training, but I kept it short and sweet and then did a lot from the ground and just did what he loved, which was jumping. So we, the flat work was made, you know, kind of put on the back burner a little bit. And, uh, but you know, there, it's kind of cool because you learn new ways to train horses and, um, and it was really cool for that vet that was doing the pre-purchase because they were like, I've never seen, the end x-rays have always like you know, diagnosed kissing spine, but I've never seen, you know, years down the road, what it looks like afterwards. Cause it's either, you know, something that we just don't deal with and the horse moves on or, you know, or nobody, it somebody figures out a program and, you know, we're done. And we never yeah. see again. Yeah. To be able to follow them. Yeah. It's great. It's great to be able to follow, follow something like that. You're right. Absolutely right. The core strength that you, produced is going to help the horse's posture and probably that 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 improved posture was was reflected on the the subsequent the follow-up radiographs so yeah absolutely but you had a you know you had a in that situation you had the dedication willingness ability all those things you know willingness and ability desire to, to to work through something and and uh and and not you know, maybe not everyone, everyone does. So that might just be the thing I would counsel someone on that was buying a, a horse with, I wouldn't say don't buy it, but I would say, Hey, here are the things in that's other problems that horses have too. Like, Hey, you should, you know, buy, consider buying this horse. Here are a couple of things that'll make that successful, you know, or, or yeah. be aware these are some little, little bumps in the road that you may have. It's, it's not a deal breaker, but here's some things to be prepared for. Just get Kyla to ride it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Send your horse to this person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all this, all this talk of uh, core strength, Mark, is is making me feel really bad because I haven't done my push ups or sit ups today. But it, it does sound very that you know all this talk about strengthening our core to help the back. It, it sounds so so similar to a lot of the talk out there in human uh, rider yeah. fitness and balance and core stability. Um, but you know, if anyone has any more questions uh, for Mark or needs their horse vetted, make sure you get onto his website. That's ueavet.com, Unionville Equine Associates. And thanks again, Mark, for coming on and and being really helpful. I feel like we just sort of peppered you with about 100 questions on the one topic there, but we really needed to get to the core of it. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. I was a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking about it. It's a great topic. Hey, Kayla, I was not going to bring this up during the talk with Mark just because I didn't really feel like uh, talking to a vet about this at the moment in case they told me I was wrong. Uh, I had a, been selling quite a few horses lately during corona. It's, it's been going really well. And one of them recently failed the pre-purchase exam 
um, which which stung a little bit. It happens, it, though. It does yeah, happen. Yeah, you know, the horse had a few little issues but was going to a very, very low-level home that was not going to be competing or anything like that. So I thought that was going to be very suitable and manageable um, without an issue. I think the main problem was, yeah, more the wording of, you know, when the vet tells you that it's, you know, lame when you're showing the horse, that is almost, yeah, it's a bit insulting to you as a, as a rider and as a seller. Yeah. I mean, did they say it while you were actually riding the horse? Uh, when I was showing it off to the new new buyer when she was riding it, and I felt like saying, well, maybe that's bridal lameness from the unbalanced rider, but we try and be diplomatic, but don't we? you can't say that to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no. It's a shame, but this horse will make a lovely uh, companion for someone, so we'll yeah. find him someone suitable. How just- about... Any um any good sales you've made lately or any horror stories? Um, well, no, I haven't sold anything. We're not really letting anyone in the farm because um, the farm owner, uh, she lives with her elderly mother-in-law, and so we're just being super cautious. And, um, I mean, I did place a horse in um, as a lease um, to my stepmom, actually, like to her working student. And of course, the horse got hot nailed um, two weeks before they tried him, uh, maybe a week and a half. They knew that. They leased the horse. And then two days in, the horse went lame. <laughs> and, you know, you just feel like such a jerk because you're trying to push the, the lease. And then the horse goes lame. And you're like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. But he's abscessing from the hot nail. It'll all be good. You yeah. know, horses everything's don't. Gonna, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> but it's very dramatic because he's very sensitive thoroughbred. So, <laughs> but, you know, it is, it's a very nerve wracking being a seller and you watch these horses do the flexions and then things pop up and it's very shocking because you're like, oh, I didn't think that would you know, I didn't ever thought there was a problem there. And then, you know, they sail through in other areas that you're like, huh, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so it's just roll of the dice. Yeah, never ending bucket full of surprises they are. So I can be found at Kayla Benny or Selkuth Sport Horses. That's www.selkuthsporthorses.com. And on Instagram, and I'm also on TikTok, which I'm making very amusing, horsey little music videos. So tune in because it's getting real over there. Kayla's TikTok definitely <laughs> does provide a few laughs. Uh, if you want something a little bit more business-like, you can oh. find me on social media, Brister Equestrian on Facebook and Instagram, and also BristerEquestrian.com. If you want to find the links to today's guests in the show notes, you can get that at horsesinthemorning.com. You can also follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Or if you want, you can check out our new podcast Facebook page. That's The Sales and Breeding Show, a horse podcast. Thank you very much, Kayla. You can have all the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with the free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. So thanks again to our title sponsor, Supreme Top Form, and also Selkid Sport Horses and myself. Uh, just remember, everyone, 
Eat, Ride, Nap, Repeat. And if you have any questions that you'd like us to pose to a guest or to talk about between ourselves, send them through. And remember, riding, like life, doesn't need to be perfect to be wonderful. Give your horse a pat after every ride. Mm -hmm.